Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be opening up to Matthew chapter 7. I've got to tell you a story that someone told me this morning as they were walking into church. Susan and Alex Rojas, Susan shares with me that uh, this week uh, she was driving around in her car and her little five-year-old son, Emilio, uh, yesterday shakes her shoulder and says, Mom, Mom, you know, Pastor Jeff always says on Sunday, did you bring your Bible with you this morning? Did you remember your Bible? Is it in the car with you? Now, I think it's great when you have a five-year-old nagging you to remember what Pastor Jeff is saying on Sunday. So that's got to be tops for me. Thanks for sharing that with me, Susan. Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, verse 15 to 23. <clears throat> as Christ followers, one of, the, one of the interesting things that we have to do as we walk through life is balance two major principles. And I think you know for sure as a Christ follower what, what one of those major principles is. After all, the Bible teaches us over and over and over again about God's grace. It even says things like God is love. Love is clearly part of the Christian walk. But do you know what the other one is? The other balancing principle that God says we need to be walking through life with every day? and that we need never lose track of it. You know what that is? Let's read this, and then I'll ask that question again at the end of the reading and see if anyone can answer that. Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So what do you think? What is the principle that uh, is that balancing principle that always balances against love? You know what it is? It's the principle of truth, the value of truth, and especially resting our lives on what the Bible teaches as truth. And in this morning's lesson, what we're going to learn about is that there are some who may claim, some who may even sincerely think, that they know Christ, and they know his truth, and yet Jesus says they don't. And that's what we want to talk about. How can we tell, first of all, who those people might be that don't really have a relationship with Jesus and are not really teaching his truth, which is a critical value of Christianity? And then secondly of all, we're going to take an inward look and say, how can I make sure that I myself... I'm not one of those people that on the last day Jesus said, I never really knew you. 
What a horrible thing it would be to have Jesus say those, speak those words to any of us. When we lived in Zambia, in the capital city of, uh, of Lusaka, Julie and I, when we stepped off the, the plane the very first time, that Zambia Airways plane, we immediately became wealthy people on the spot. Not that our salary grew. Uh, our modest little American pastor's salary stayed the same, but by comparison to everyone else living in a high poverty situation in Zambia, we became immediately extremely wealthy people. And of course, what that meant was that uh, from time to time, we'd have people coming up and asking us if, uh, if we could help them out with one situation or another. Unfortunately, and you can imagine this to be true, I'm sure, not all of those requests for help represented requests out of genuine need. In Zambia, like in many other places around the world, including right here in America, there are many scam artists. And one day, there was a knock at the gate. And Julie went out to meet this very distinguished-looking gentleman wearing a, a suit and a tie. And he was carrying some very official-looking paperwork, embossed, letterhead, looked really good, all kinds of lines on the bottom of it where there could be signatures of people who had already made donations to what he said was an international aid organization. And he showed Julie the paper. Julie looked down, and lo and behold, there on one of the lines was the signature of one of our neighbors, our, our friends, Ernst Wendland, lived right down the street, long-term veteran missionary, who had made a very generous donation, according to this sheet of paper, to, uh, to this international aid organization. So this gentleman, of course, asked Julie if she would be willing to make a similar donation. Now, what he didn't take into account was my wife's eagle eye for a scam artist. And she looked at that signature, and it didn't quite look right to her. So she said to the gentleman, dressed very nicely, very distinguished looking, would you mind waiting a minute? I just want to go make a phone call. And she went into the house and called Ernie and said, did you just meet a gentleman in a suit coming from such and so organization? And did you just put your signature on the paper and give him a donation? And Ernie said, not only had he not given a generous donation, he had not given a donation at all. In fact, he had not even met the gentleman. Isn't this really what Jesus is saying to us this morning? That can happen not only with finances, that it can also happen with the truths of God's word, that we have to be aware that there can be people, maybe even some of them sincere, maybe even some of them very heartfelt, not even recognizing what they're doing, but others truly scam artists whom Jesus refers to as false prophets, that we need to, like Julie, have an eagle eye for, that we need to watch out for. Because while the value of love in God's kingdom is extremely high, as Jesus is going to point out, so is this amazing value of truth. Jesus, in effect, is telling us that there are also spiritual name droppers. 
Just as that gentleman tried to drop Ernie Winland's name, there are people that are going to come around and try to drop the name of Jesus Christ to back up what they're doing, what they're saying, and what they're teaching. And we have to be careful. Jesus says, watch out for these very sometimes innocent, distinguished-looking people. Notice what he says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Now, it's kind of instructive to look at when Jesus is teaching these words. You know what this is in the context of? It's in the context of his Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, it, it takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew. There are only 28 chapters in total in Matthew. So Matthew, in effect, de- uh, delivers three of those 28 chapters over to relating what went on in the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's more than 10% of this whole book to this particular sermon. And near the end of that sermon, near the end of that teaching, that's when Jesus says, look, there are going to come others along that you need to watch out for that are not going to bring this same teaching that I'm bringing to you today that Matthew has just related to you for chapter after chapter. And this is not, by the way, the only time that Jesus says, watch out for the truth and for its opposite, falsehood. In fact, in John chapter 8, we read Jesus saying, if you hold to my teaching, hold on to it tightly, then you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's our first point. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is actually giving us the responsibility for, is to exercise discernment. That we have to be discerning people when it comes to determining the difference between truth and falsehood. And exercising discernment is not all that different from what Julie did at the gate of our home in Zambia. You remember what she did? She took the gentleman's words and she compared them with what Ernie had really done. And that's really what Jesus is telling us to do throughout the scriptures. When some other teacher comes along, I need you to be discerning of whether this is really my teaching or not my teaching. Compare what this individual is saying with what what my words say and do it constantly and consistently. Read your Bible. Know my words. And isn't uh, isn't it interesting that that sort of philosophy of knowing God's word goes all the way back into the Old Testament? In fact, if you look back in the Old Testament, it really gives us the very first principle for how we can be discerning people. Look at Psalm 25. I put it in your crosswalk notes. What Jesus is asking us for here is to exercise spiritual discernment, which means that's the kind of discernment that must come from God. How did King David feel that he would get that sort of spiritual discernment? By asking for it from God. Look what he says. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. When, when we look 
at a book like this, and this happens to be my kind of small print, narrow Bible edition, I think the first thing that rises up in most of our minds is, how? How am I ever possibly going to know all this stuff? And, and Jesus is saying, I've got to compare everything that any other teacher, all those TV guys, what Pastor Jeff is saying, what my growth group leader is saying. I've got all these people, and I'm supposed to be comparing them to this book? How in the world do I, how do I cut that up into bite-sized pieces? Well, King David really teaches us the very first secret to having spiritual discernment. It's spiritual discernment. And therefore, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Go to God, just like David did in Psalm 25, step one, and ask him to grant you the gift of spiritual discernment. You and I need to pray just like David did. God, show me your ways. Teach me your path. Send your spirit into my heart so I can become a discerning person and know the difference between truth and falsehood. That's step one. Number two. It's a big book. But you know what? If you read it, if you read it a little bit every day, if you take your time and you meditate on it, Over time, it's amazing how much of this book begins to make sense, become easier and easier, and themes emerge. Big, big themes, important themes that become clear. They're being repeated over and over and over again. For for example, themes like when we're born into this world, we're, we're born sinful. And we're constantly throughout our lives struggling against Satan against the world, the sinful world around us, and against that little Benedict Arnold that's inside each and every one of us, our own sinful nature. And we're constantly falling into temptation, into the traps of sin. That's why every Sunday we confess our sins. But here's the bigger theme, the theme that always gets the last word. And that is the theme that because of sin, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to live the perfect life as our substitute that we couldn't live. And then he gave that perfect life to you and me. He sent his one and only son into the world, not only to live that perfect life, but to die and make the perfect sacrifice for our sins to pay the the perfect penalty so that all our sins are paid for. And because of that love and grace, you and I are forgiven. As we read the Bible, the gospel of God's grace begins to emerge more and more strongly. But I'm going to tell you that if, if we don't make it our responsibility to study God's word, what can happen to you and to me is what Paul was warning was happening to the Galatians. Take a look in your crosswalk notes. Look at what happened to the Galatians. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are are turning to a, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says something really pretty strong, pretty amazing. Even if we, myself... Or an angel from heaven 
should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, the gospel that Jesus had preached, then let him be eternally condemned. There is no other gospel. There is no other truth than hearing that God's grace is the most important thing that we should know and life. And you see, this is what's really underneath Jesus' words to watch out for false prophets. It's, it's really what's underneath Paul's concern for the Galatians, is that if, if they don't strongly hold on to the truth, then the risk is that they're going to lose grace. And that's precisely what was happening to the Galatians. These other teachers were coming in and saying, you know, Jesus died... But let me tell you something, what he did when he died and the life he lived, it wasn't quite enough. It was a lot of it, they said. But on top of what Jesus did, if you truly want to be saved for eternity, you have to follow the Old Testament Jewish laws as well. And you have to fulfill the Old Testament Jewish ceremonies of circumcision and how they worship and so on and so forth. And if you don't pile that, your own efforts, on top of what Christ has done for you, you are not saved. Now think about how close that message must have seemed to the Galatians, to what Paul had been saying to them. Because Paul had told them all that stuff about Jesus. And these new teachers, they were saying, yes, Paul's right. It's about Jesus. But it's also, don't forget, about Jewish laws and ceremonies too. And if they had not had the Apostle Paul to come back and remind them, dig into your Bibles and you will see that it is God's gift alone, not your own efforts. God's Son alone, not your own works and not your own ceremonies, who saves you. Then as Paul says here, they could have lost it all. And so it's so important that we understand that what underlies all this talk about clinging to the truth is the desire to have God's grace rule in our lives, to have the gospel good news of Jesus Christ, be supreme and know his forgiveness and his love and never have one bit of doubt and never have things be turned around and be put back on you or me. But simply always, always to remember that God's love is so big, so amazing. He's so gracious that he wants you to just lie back and rest in his grace. And Jesus says, and Paul says, Don't let anyone take that message from you. Read your Bible. Know the gift of God's grace and forgiveness and hold on to that gospel of God's grace. Here's the third and final tip for discerning biblical truth. You're sitting among them. And it is the very reason why we have growth groups here at Crosswalk. Today's growth groups kick off Sunday. But if you want to stay firm in biblical truth, one of the points that the Bible makes over and over and over again is don't isolate yourself. Don't buy in to the lie that says, I can do this spiritual walk with Christ all by myself. 
The way we are designed is to function together as a unit, to have one another's back, to go through this life together. And I hope, as you recall back to even some of the cardboard testimonials that we saw last weekend, you saw the value of walking the crosswalk together with other believers. In particular, I'll mention them again, your growth group, where you can really dig in and exchange the truths of the Bible amongst yourselves. Bottom line, as we look back to that Matthew 7 passage, the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, he's really saying this, truth just like love, is important. In fact, you can write this down in your crosswalk notes. Do you know how many times Jesus says, I tell you the truth? How many times that little phrase is recorded in the Gospels? 78 times Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And when we think about it this way, what we're really saying is exercising discernment about the truths of God's word it's not a matter of pride. And, and you know, as Christ followers, we sometimes get accused of that. Who are you to say you have it all right? Who are you to say that you have the truth? Are you that big-headed that you think you are the only one that knows these things? We're going to be accused of that. And it's going to sting a little bit to be accused of that. But, but bottom line, remember, the stakes are extremely high. We're going to talk about that some more in just a moment. We can't lose the gospel of God's grace. And, and when we think of it that way, discernment's not a matter of pride or arrogance. It's a matter of love. We want the whole world to know about the forgiveness and mercy and love that Christ has for them. So, number one, all of us need to be saying, I am responsible for discerning biblical truth notice what it says in ephesians four fifteen. there in your crosswalk notes instead speaking the truth in love now we got both of them together speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ recently um started taking a class at south mountain community college on the very first day of my class i got this little sheet of paper the tar- at the top, it gives the subject of the class. Um, the class is titled The Art of Storytelling. I thought it would be good to learn a little bit more about storytelling, make my sermons even longer. <laughs> Syllabus is underneath there. Now, on the very first day of class, they gave us this, and it was interesting how they presented this syllabus. Did you know that a syllabus is... A covenant between a teacher and a student and that it's actually a legal document in the state of Arizona it's a it's a legal commitment between the instructor on the college level and the student and we actually all signed a little piece of paper that said we would abide by the syllabus it struck me how important even at a community college that I think most of us think, well, that's kind of, you know, second-rate college there, a community college. I don't feel that way for all of those of you who, like me who are at community college. How important education is. 
But the more I've thought about it and the more I've listened to that instructor, here's the message that comes clearly. Education at this college is our core business. This is what we do, and it's important to us. Represented by things like a syllabus. For South Mountain Community College, asking them to mess with their syllabus is like asking the Coke company to mess with the Coke formula. Or or selling knockoff versions of some valuable thing that is much less quality. It's just not something to be messed with. And sometimes, I think, because we're a little bit sensitive in an age of high tolerance, we may be tempted to forget that teaching is also the core business of the church. Teaching the Bible is at the very heart of what we do. It is our core business. And so just like at a community college, it should be so important that we're willing to put out legal documents and so forth. As a church, we we need at times to remember this is our core business. And that's, that's what Jesus was really helping us to remember when he said, watch out for those false prophets. And, and when you watch out for the truth, don't think of it as being picayunish or, or small-minded like some may accuse you of being. And, and, and don't think of it of, as making mountains out of molehills to defend the truths of the Bible, no matter where they might be in the Bible. Jesus calls on us here to clearly identify and distinguish between true teaching and false teaching. And not only that, notice this, not only true teaching and false teaching, but he clearly says distinguish between teachers of the truth and teachers of falsehood. Watch out for false prophets. And he tells us how we can recognize teachers, whether they are true or false. He says in verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Verse 19, underline it. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Who do I need to cut out from teaching me and throw to the side? Those whose fruits, both their words and their actions, indicate that they are not teaching nor living according to what Jesus taught and lived. You know, it's kind of interesting. In the New Testament, you know what people were called who followed Jesus' words to watch out for false prophets who were insistent on the truth being taught? I can tell you this. They weren't called small-minded. They weren't called picayunish. They were never accused of making mountains out of molehills. Do you know what they were called? Acts chapter 17 tells us, and it says they were called noble. I put it in your crosswalk notes. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. 
On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character. Circle those words, noble character than the Thessalonians. And why? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. These people were concerned about the truth, and they dug into the scriptures every last day to check up, not just on anybody, but on the apostle Paul himself. You see, the Bereans understood what the stakes really were, didn't they? This life, because it is the journey to eternal life, is a major sea battle. It's a major sea battle. And we have Satan out there like a huge aircraft carrier launching his demons at us every day. We have the sinful world around us like a destroyer shooting ballistic missiles at us. We have a little submarine called our sinful nature trying to spiritually torpedo us all the time. We're engaged in a huge, mighty spiritual sea battle. And the Bereans understood this, so they were digging in to God's word every day to see if what Paul is saying is true. And Paul, by the way, encourages that. Take a look at what he writes to Timothy. Put this in your notes too. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. You're in this sea battle. And hold on to your faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Underline that phrase, shipwrecked their faith. If we reject the truth, if we're not careful about the truth, it ends up in us getting blown out of the water spiritually. And he names names. Isn't that Kind of interesting, talking about not just identifying false teaching, but false teachers. Paul names names. Among them, he says, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, is it going to be easy to recognize who's a a good teacher of the truth? versus one who's not at first glance. What Jesus says clearly indicates it's not always easy. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And I'll say it again. Many times those who teach false teachings, non-biblical teachings, it doesn't always mean that they're insincere. The the ravenous wolves part doesn't mean that they're, they're always intentionally out to get you and me. They may be very sincere, heartfelt people who really think that what they're teaching is the biblical truth. That's why it's so important for you to take responsibility to dig into your scriptures every day like the Bereans. Because we can't measure it by a person's sincerity. And also, by the way, I'm not saying that there aren't some out there, and you know this, that are completely insincere. Insincere. 
who are simply doing this as a way to some sort of gain in their life. Financial gain, some way to gain position, some way to gain power. Those people exist too. And there are those kind of ravenous wolves out there as well. There are many varieties and many degrees of false prophets. But what they all have in common is that in the end, we, as their listeners, end up being deceived, falling away from the truth of God and losing that beautiful message of Christ's forgiveness and the grace of God. And that's, that's why the stakes are so very high. So my biggest, biggest recommendation is to learn this question, the Berean question, really, the simple Berean question, when anyone is teaching you, when I'm teaching you, and if I'm your main teacher, then I say, especially when I'm teaching you, ask yourself the Berean question, is what this guy is saying really based on God's word in the Bible? Sound tough? Well, Jesus' words indicate that you're capable. You're capable, and he will help you. Hebrews 3, 6 reminds us, Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. You're part of God's house, and Christ is with with you. He's going to walk with you every step. And his name, well, we can drop that name with our spiritual enemies, and it's a powerful name. And it will send our spiritual enemy, Satan, sinful world, our own sinful nature. It will, it will send our enemies packing. Christ is faithful, and you have him over your house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage in the hope of which we boast. Second point, I hope you know this, and I hope you can say this with me. I, with the help of God, am capable of recognizing biblical messengers. One of my favorite TV shows, really letting you into my inner life here, one of my guilty pleasures, is a TV show called Survivor Man. Survivor Man is this sort of outdoors enthusiast survivor guy. He sets up these scenarios where all by himself he gets dropped into the middle of the wilderness with his camera equipment, and he has to survive for a week out there in the wilderness all on his own. Before he goes, and it can be anywhere in the world, he always meets with some experts so that he can learn the difference between a plant that might be poisonous or a fruit and one that is good for eating and healthy and helpful. Now, it's interesting how many times Survivor Man will say on this show, you got to be careful here because, look, here's this plant over here. And there's one right next to it. Guess what? They look a lot alike. That one will kill you. That one you can eat. I've heard him say it numerous times. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. If we are to be survivor men and survivor women, we have to learn to distinguish between the truths that are helpful and healthy and the ones that are not. They're poison to our souls. And look how Paul says to Timothy, literally, 
This is poison to your souls. First Timothy six, three to five. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. He himself has already been poisoned by it. He has an unhealthy, circle that word, interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind. They're corrupted. They're poisonous. And why are their minds corrupt? Paul says to Timothy, because they have been robbed of the truth. And they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Can you believe that? I mean, in some ways, I find I struggle with that, and maybe you do too. Really? A person would, would use the name of Jesus Christ and his cross as a way to some sort of personal advancement? And, and I know we see it, but it, it, it just so saddens me to think that this message of the gospel that can literally save souls for eternity is being misused by people simply so that they can have, what, financial gain? Or, or step up in position or get more power over people? You see, that not that sort of the classic definition of a name dropper? Why does a name dropper drop names? To advance himself. And that's why Jesus says, these people are name droppers. And when it gets to judgment day, it's going to be sort of like you and me knocking on the door of some big celebrity whose name we dropped, but we didn't know him. We're going to knock on that door, more likely ring the bell way out there at his gate, 100 yards from his front door, and we're going to say, hey, I'm Jeff, I'm your friend, I'm here. And he's going to say, Jeff who? You think just because you knew my name (laughs) and you were willing to use my name for your own personal advancement? that that was enough? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so while it's easy for us to point fingers outside, before we conclude today, I think we better just take a moment, a quick moment, but a serious moment, to look at our own motives for following Jesus and to recognize, honestly, that there can be many false motives for following Jesus. You might read the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, and find two boys who loved their father, not because they loved their father. They loved their father because they loved their father's possessions, his stuff, 
and they wanted his stuff. They didn't want him. You might go into the book of Acts and read the story of Simon the sorcerer who started following the apostles around because he thought, hey, these guys have even more power than I do. In fact, I'm willing to pay good money if I can get the same kind of power they have. Read about him in Acts chapter 8. You can even read the story of James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, who had the chutzpah to go up to Jesus and say, what about our position, Jesus? When you get into your eternal kingdom... Can we sit at your right and your left? Can we be right there with you? What we want, Lord, is not you. We want the position that you can give us. You can read about them, and then maybe as you read about them, you can also look at your own heart, as I need to do as well. And we can all ask ourselves, why am I a Christ follower? Why am I following Jesus? George Barno recently did a study. He calls, he identified what he calls the seven tribes in America. He says that only 17% of people living in America are what he calls true living the life of Jesus Christians. A huge chunk of Christians are what he calls Casual Christians, people who use the name. In fact, the article's right here. I'll give you the percentages. 17% are captive Christians, those who are actually following the word of Christ, 17%. 66% of Americans are casual Christians. They identify as Christian but are lax in their beliefs and practices. 66%, that's two-thirds. And the rest of America, Jews, 2%, Mormons, 2%, pantheists, 1%, Muslims, 1%, skeptics, 11%. And for our purposes today, I guess we ask ourselves, where am I? Am I one of those 66% of casual Christians? who loves to drop the name of Jesus, or am I really one of those 17% of captive Christians? Last passage, John chapter 15, verse 15. You know what Jesus wants more than anything? He wants to be your friend. He wants you, your heart. And he wants you to want him, not his stuff, not his power, not the position he can give you, but him. And he says this, John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You, through faith, are friends of Jesus. Our last point is, I'm accountable for my motives in following Jesus. Take a look at your next steps there. Here's something that would be great for all of us to do. 
take those three stories that I gave you, the prodigal son, Simon the sorcerer, James and John. You've got the passages right there. Read them. Read how they were motivated. And then read John 15, the whole chapter where Jesus calls you his friend and meditate on this question. Why am I following Jesus? Second next step. If, if you go home today, this is the biggest thing I want you to do. Rest in Jesus' words, which are words of grace and love and forgiveness. Jesus calls you his friend, and that is amazing. Finally, meditate on and memorize John fifteen fifteen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us here today to hear the message of the Bible and help us to value the truth that's in the Bible, to value it highly, right alongside the value that you've placed on our hearts to love one another and to love you above all things. Help us to also see truth as part of our walk with you. Lord, you've called on us to be discerning, and we need your help for that. Grow our faith. Inspire us to dig into your word every day and to be in prayer every day. And most of all, Lord, help us to care deeply about knowing you like those Berean Christians wanted to know you. And to not let anything or anyone deceive us and pull us away from your truth. Lord, we know the stakes are high. At the bottom of all of this lies that the gospel of your grace can be robbed from us and from others. And we want that never to happen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.